go ahead and open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. As you do, I'm, I'm thankful that over the last two weeks uh, for, for David Johnson and for Mike McKinley being able to fill in, allowing me some extra time to be able to, to work on some long-range planning uh, um, that I'm excited about, and uh, we'll be talking more about in, in the months ahead. But I'm glad to be back in the pulpit today. Uh, I much prefer this uh, than to any long-range planning or administrative type of things. Uh, those are necessary. This is what I love um, here. So as we move back into the book of Acts and our study of Acts, Consider where we are here in the biblical timeline here in Acts chapter 3. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father after telling the apostles that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to, to the ends of the earth. The promised Holy Spirit has arrived at Pentecost Peter has preached Christ crucified and risen from the dead, seeing some 3,000 people come to faith in Christ in that one day. So the church goes from about 120 to about 3,120 in one day. And then we're told that the church from that day forward was, was adding to this number day by day those who were being saved. As they, these new believers, this church in Jerusalem, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, as they devoted themselves to generous, sacrificial fellowship, as they devoted themselves to gathering together to, to partake of the Lord's Supper and to worship and to be together, as they devoted themselves to prayer. All this taking place, all these things that they devoted themselves to, all this taking place in the midst of really just the ordinary rhythms of their everyday lives within the culture of which they found themselves living. Meaning, when they came to faith in Christ, they didn't go and just seclude themselves off in some commune somewhere to live ostracized from the, the community around them. No, they brought the light, the light of Christ, into the darkness and the brokenness of the world in which they lived. And you know what they did? They engaged. They engaged. They met people where they were in their brokenness. And they faithfully called people to repent and to believe in the gospel. And as a result, they got to witness what? They witnessed God do the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. And friends, that never gets old, does it? It never gets old. I got an email just the other day from a former coworker from back when I was a car salesman in Memphis. A man who I have prayed for 
off and on as the Lord has brought him to mind over the last seven years since the last time I saw him. He was self-admittedly on the path to destruction. And in the email, he shared that in 2020, in a moment of just absolute desperation, he picked up the Bible. And he began reading in Genesis 1.1. And you know what? He proceeded in that email to say, I haven't stopped since. Sharing that somewhere along the way, the Lord brought him to saving faith. And now, he is a faithful member of a local church on the other side of the globe. Desiring nothing more than to make Christ known. Even sent me a link to uh, a sermon, first sermon he ever preached just a few weeks back. Just focused on Christ. We got to talk on FaceTime the other day. And I'm like, this isn't the same guy. (laughs) He's not the same guy at all. And friends... That's God doing the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary of this crazy, even massively broken and messed up world and the rhythms that we call life. God still doing the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. And again, it never gets old. You could hear those stories all day long. Just look with me at Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. (laughs) While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Let's pause there. Consider what we've just read for a moment. And how... This extraordinary healing miracle, 
This extraordinary event takes place in what? The ordinary routines and rhythms of a normal day, which is our first point. How God does the extraordinary in the midst of the ordinary. Look at verse 1 again. And how Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. There's nothing extraordinary about this, is there? It's what you did every day in this culture. Morning prayers, afternoon prayers. It's the ordinary, everyday rhythm of the culture in which they lived. And then consider the lame man from birth. Sitting there at the temple gate, asking for alms. Essentially, he's begging for money. He's asking for for somebody to, to give him some money. Likely something he had been doing day after day for the greater portion of his life. This, too, was the ordinary rhythm of this man's life. And then consider the crowds of people coming in and out of the temple. Passing by this man and others like him every single day. Often, again, multiple times a day. Morning prayers, afternoon prayers. Having been taught all of their life by the rabbis that giving alms, giving gifts to impoverished individuals such as this, this man would would be pleasing in the eyes of God. Would somehow earn them favor with God. So, of course, What better time than to drop a little bit of token in the coffer than as you're going in to pray before God, right? Hey, let me drop a little bit in the basket. Let me drop a little bit in on my way. Maybe it'll earn me some standing before God. That thought, that idea persists today. but, But again, nothing extraordinary about any of this, is there? It's just another ordinary day in Jerusalem. Until verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at the lame man, as did John, and said, what? Look at us. See, this wasn't ordinary. This wasn't ordinary at all. (laughs) Even those who gave this man alms, as they did, they just did it as they passed by. Gave alms and dropped it and quickly just kept on going. There was no conversations that were being had. It was drop and go. But not this time. No, this time, Peter and John looked at him. They looked at him, directed their gaze upon him in his brokenness, and did what? Invited this man to look at them, to look at them, which means what? They're meeting him where he's at, in his brokenness, in his shame, in his hurt, and they're engaging him. They're engaging him as a person. They're engaging him as an image bearer of God. And now, if you're this man, what are you likely expecting from from Peter and John? Probably a pretty substantial gift. Not because it's Peter and John, 
These are just likely two men passing by in his eyes. But because they looked at him, they engaged him. No one does this. Just imagine walking down the streets of D.C. What do, what do we naturally do? Just keep walking. Right? Why? Because we make eye contact. Somebody's going to expect engagement. They're going to follow. They're going to think that we're going to give something, right or wrong. It's what we do. So he's thinking, no, no, no mere drop in the bucket this time. Ha! This is going to be good. <laughs> like, he's invited me to, to look at him. But then what's the next thing out of Peter's mouth? Verse 6. I have no silver or gold, but. Think about that for a moment. I have no silver or gold. Put yourself in this man's shoes. Your, your hopes have just been elevated, haven't they? Like the moment he invited, Peter and John invited him to look at him, his hopes go up. You're expecting a very generous gift. We've all had these moments, have we not? Like, do you think in this moment, like, I'm about to receive a very generous gift from somebody, whether it's Christmas time, whether it's birthday, whether it's just a random day. It's like this moment of like elevation, anticipation, builds of a generous gift, even, even if it's a momentary anticipation. And then you hear the words, I have no silver or gold. And what happens? Hope immediately plummets. But then there's a but. A hope, even so slightly, returns. It's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> like, you're telling me there's a chance, and you hold on with hope as you hear, but what I do have I give to you. Could be food. Could be clothing. It's going to be something, because he's, he said I have something to give to you, and he's obviously most likely thinking material blessing. And then what does Peter say? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man being like, yeah, didn't see that one coming. I mean, he's never walked. Not a day in his life. Never taken one step. Couldn't if he tried. He's been this way from birth. And Peter tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Which is what? It's an invitation to believe. Peter's not using Jesus' name here as some magic incantation. No, he's calling this man to trust in Jesus as his only hope in life and in death. It's a scene very reminiscent of some of Jesus' miracles, is it not? Obviously, the, this man is not dead, but I can't help but think of Jesus summoning Lazarus from the dead. Come forth. Like, rise up and do what? Walk out of that grave. I'd have loved to have been there for that. Like, just to see, he's been in the grave for four days. He stinks. Come on out of there, Lazarus. And he does. He just walks right out. 
can't help but think of Jesus healing the paralytic after his friends lowered him through the roof of the house. Remember that story? Each of these days were ordinary. Nothing special about these days. Obviously sad that Lazarus had died, but death happens in an ordinary life. Nothing extraordinary about these days until they became extraordinary. But here this man sits begging for alms, doing what he's done every single day. And Peter again tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, there's clearly some sort of hesitation from the man. Maybe even thinking, how do I even begin to do this? I, I don't know how to do this. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's very similar to the same thoughts of a new believer, is it not? How do I do this? What does it look like to, to walk, to follow after Christ? Where do I even begin in this process? Maybe that's where you find yourself today. But then what did Peter do? Verse 7, he took the man by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The key word there being what? Immediately. Immediately he was healed. Immediately in that moment of faith, as he received Peter's hand, an ordinary day turned what? Extraordinary. There's no delay. This man's life changed forever, just as it is when anyone comes to faith in Christ. Sinful hearts reconciled to God once and for all, how? By faith through the precious blood of Christ. And the moment this man understands what happened, <laughs> what's he do? He leaps up. He leaps up. A lot higher than that. <laughs> leaps up and enters the temple with Peter and John, walking and leaping and praising God, which is a massively significant detail. And here's why. Picture this for a moment. This man has never been able to walk, right? Was born with this ailment. And based upon the views of his day, he may have never entered the temple beyond the gate where he sat ever in his life. Why? Because disabilities such as his were seen as a sign of God's disfavor. They were seen as a, a sign of sin. Consider the man born blind in John chapter 9. Even the disciples were left asking Jesus what? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that, this, that he would be born blind? Equating the man's blindness with sin. Or consider Job's friends, who simply assumed Job must have done something wrong to deserve such disfavor that they were witnessing from God. This was how the people likely viewed this lame man and others like him. 
seeing his disability as related to sin and a disfavor with God. And as a result, he wasn't allowed to enter into the temple. He could only come to the temple gate this far, but no farther. But now what's happened to this man? He's been healed. The lame man can now walk. The lame man's not lame anymore. (laughs) And he does what? He enters into the temple. Which his entire life was rightfully understood as entering into God's presence. And now he enters the temple doing what? Praising God with great joy. A reminder that joy (laughs) is a natural response to God's grace. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Joy is a natural response to God's grace, a natural part of the Christian life, which may be a newsflash to some professing Christians, right? Sometimes, sometimes I'm thinking that memo hasn't been delivered to every professing Christian. People being like, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, then there's a song that you need to learn. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, what? Clap your hands. And you all know that I can't clap and sing at the same time. But by golly, let us joyfully praise God for what he has done and is doing in our life. That's this man instantaneous, immediately, leaps up. He's praising God. He's in the temple and giving joyful praise to God for what he has done. And then what happens? All the people who passed by him day after day after day, they saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who set up the gate asking for alms. So they recognized the one who was lame, who was now made new. They recognized his joy, which they had likely never seen before, right? Because he'd been sitting there in this lame state, begging for, for alms. But now they see a smile on his face. They see joy radiating from his life. And how do they respond? How would you respond in that moment? They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11 telling us they were utterly astounded by this. Why? Because this wasn't ordinary. This was extraordinary. And of course, the crowds of people naturally want to know what? How is this possible? How? So Peter tells them in verse 16, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. How is he healed? By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Meaning, What we have here are the apostles 
acting under the authority of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit to initiate the restoration of fallen creation by calling broken people to believe. Remember, all of creation affected by the curse of sin. And in this moment, with this man, what's the most noticeable effect of a fallen world? His lameness. You can't miss it. It's easy to see. And what's immediately recognizable as a result of his healing? That he can now walk. You can't miss it. Lame man now walks. Just as the paralytic Jesus healed could then what? Walk. It's extraordinary. But do you remember what Jesus said to the paralyzed man before he healed him of his physical paralysis? Luke chapter 5. Man, your sins are given. To which the Pharisees and the scribes who were there and others were like, who can forgive sins but God alone? Like, ding, 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 ding. You, you got the answer right. <laughs> there it is. We have the winner. <laughs> to which Jesus responded, how? Well, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? And of course, it's easier to say your, your sins are forgiven. Because it's one thing to say something, right? Any of us can say it. It's another thing to actually have the authority to do it. So what does Jesus do then? He heals the man of his paralysis. Physical paralysis then gone, which is proof of what? That Jesus has the power and the authority to forgive sin. And that he's who? He's God. Thus the picture of what? That as a result of his faith in Jesus, his spiritual paralysis is also gone. He's been made new by the grace of God. And how did the people who were there witnessing this respond? In awe of what they just witnessed. They said to themselves, this is extraordinary. See, the lame man here is serving as a clear picture of physical brokenness, but also spiritual brokenness unable to enter the temple because of his perceived sinful condition, which is the spiritual reality of every single one of us from birth, unable to enter into the presence of God. Why? Because of our sin. But now, through faith in Christ, this man is able to do what? Enter into the temple. Enter into God's presence as a healed man, as a new creation. It's no longer this far, but no farther for him. No, he's now, through faith in Christ, he has access to the Holy One. Access to the Holy One. As do we who have placed our faith and our hope in Christ. This serving as a a beautiful reminder that in the new heaven and in the new earth, we who are spiritually healed today through faith in Christ will physically enter into God's presence, praising him for what he has done to reconcile us to himself. And on that day, on that day, 
There will be no more lame legs. There will be no more lame lungs, no more blind eyes or, or sorrow or suffering of any kind. Oh, friends, this story is a foretaste of what is to come. This is the promise that awaits every single person who believes. Leaping in joy, <laughs> praising God in his presence. But friends, here's the thing. We don't have to wait for that day to come to walk with and to faithfully follow Christ. Like the lame man, we who trust in Christ as our only hope in life and in death are immediately healed of our sin, given the Spirit, and are now in this moment, in this very moment, able to follow Christ. In fact, that's what we desire to do. As much as the healed man desired then to what? To walk. Christians desire to follow Christ. But again, how does this extraordinary healing take place? Point two, extraordinary healing comes through faith in Christ alone. And I promise these last two points are not as long as the first point. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save the sick, the lame, the broken. There's a reason Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because the more we have physically, the harder it is to see how sick and sinful our human hearts are from birth. We don't see our desperate need for Jesus. But what does the Bible teach us regarding our spiritual condition? The Bible teaches us that we are born dead in our sin. That we are sinners both by nature and by practice. And we can do nothing to heal or save ourselves. Any more than the lame man can make himself walk. But then again, what's the natural question? Then how is such healing possible? Peter addressing the crowd and the question in verse 12 answers by saying, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter's like, don't look at us as anything special. This healing here did not come by our power. It did not come by our authority at all. No, verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Which is a scathing indictment, is it not? In fact, this is indictment number one of three that we're going to see as we progress here. And you can mark them down as we go. You can underline them, you can highlight them, you can circle them, you can write them on your notes. There's the first one, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Peter being very clear, you delivered Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. You did this. You denied Jesus by saying there is no king but Caesar. You're guilty, every one of you. 
Because you did this even when, when he, that is Pilate, had decided to release him. And you still did this. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one. That's indictment number two. Again, Peter focusing on, on their denial, but this time in, including what they asked for, as they asked for a murderer to be granted to them, which was who? Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And you killed the author of life. Indictment number three. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What's Peter doing? Like a doctor, he's delivering a diagnosis. You're terminally sick. Like a judge, he's leveling the verdict. You're guilty. He's using the backdrop of this lame man's healing to say your hearts are in worse condition spiritually than this lame man was physically. And friends, this is getting to the heart of the matter. Because we see a lame man begging on a street. We see images of poverty-stricken countries around the world. We see footage of leveled towns brought by natural disasters. And it's easy to see the physical need before us. Our hearts naturally extending out in compassion as a result of this desperate physical need that we see. And yes, there is a time and a place and a way to help in meeting physical needs. Jesus both preached and healed. He taught and he fed. But here's where we must be careful. One, we must be careful that our physical offerings don't become like alms dropped in a basket. As we pass by without another thought. Here's my offering. Here's a little gift. No other thought. Or thought of, as some mean, as a means of earning God's favor by giving our alms to justify ourselves before God, which we cannot do. Two, we must be careful not to equate material wealth and physical health as a sign of God's favor. But rather, we must see the brokenness of this world as a picture of every human heart apart from Christ. Lame from birth dead in our sin. Nothing that we can do to save ourselves from the judgment that awaits us. We may not have driven the nails through Jesus' hands physically or been there to cry out, crucify him with crowds, but it was our sin that sent him to the cross. We too are guilty. Three, we must understand we can't give what we don't have. See, even if silver and gold were the answer, which it's not, we never have enough to meet the vastness of the world's physical need, would we? All the philanthropies, all the wealth, everything that goes from government funding, it's not enough to meet the physical needs of this broken world. Not enough. 
But what, or better yet, who do we have to give? We have Jesus, the bread of life. And while silver and gold will provide meals on the table for a time, relieve the hunger pains for a time, the hunger pains are always going to return, aren't they? Another storm is going to come. Cancers will sadly return. But those who come to Jesus, the bread of life in faith, shall not hunger. And whoever believes in him shall never thirst. And friends, this invitation is extended to everyone who believes, rich or poor. Want to receive the extraordinary healing of your sinful heart? Call upon the name of the Lord in faith, like this lame beggar that you are, (laughs) and you will be saved. You will receive new life in Christ. Already saved by God's grace, praise God, but now want want to take part in the extraordinary, in the midst of the ordinary? Then give the lost and broken people of this world what they need more than anything else. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. Don't look the other way. Rather, Look upon them with compassion, rich or poor, and call upon them to believe in his name and continue to pray. And behold how, number three, extraordinary healing results in a new life. Peter, continuing in verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, And by acknowledging that they acted in ignorance, he's not saying their ignorance is a valid excuse for their sin. Rather, just stating the reality of the situation, everyone acted in ignorance. Peter himself had been ignorant of much. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, so from all the Old Testament scriptures, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And then he tells them and us two things that we must do. That we will do in response or evidence of genuine faith. So just as the lame man got up and walked and leaped for joy as he praised God, all being evidence of what? His healing. We who trust in Christ as our only hope in life and in death will display the evidence of our healing of our new life by doing two things. One, repent. Repentance. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So first thing a healed heart does is repent. Repentance being a turning away from our sins and a following, a turning to Christ in faith. But no repentance, no faith. 
No repentance, no spiritual healing, no evidence of a new life in Christ. That's the question. Are you living a life of faithful repentance before God? Two, listen to Jesus and whatever he tells you. Verse 22, Peter pointing his Jewish listeners to Moses, who said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Moses speaking of who? Jesus. And Moses says what? You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. So the instruction is to listen to Jesus, which implies obedience to Jesus. Listen and obey. And if you don't listen to Jesus, then what? You shall be destroyed. There's no evidence of a new life. It would be like a, a lame man claiming to be healed, but then never what? Never walking, never leaping, never jumping for joy. The point being, Christians follow Jesus in faith and do what he's called us to do. Do we do so perfectly? No. But then we repent and we continue to walk by faith. That's the question. Are you living your life in faithful obedience, doing what Jesus has told you to do? If not, repent and follow Christ. And then lastly, Peter closes with words specifically for his Jewish audience. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Peter's saying, this promise was first delivered to you. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So believe in him and be healed. Believe in him and turn from your wicked ways. Believe in him and be blessed forever. And he's saying this face to face with a crowd who cried out, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Which means what for Peter? What for John? I'm going to proclaim this wonderful truth, this glorious message, no matter the cost. Church, this is the message that we have been given. To hear, to believe, to embrace, and to proclaim. Just consider the response of the lame man after his healing one more time. His life changed forever. He enters into the temple praising God with joy. Crowds are filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened to him. So let me ask you, do you find yourself filled with this wonder, with this amazement at the power of Jesus' name to heal the sinful human heart still today?
do you, you see people differently than you once did? Do people see you differently? Do they look at your life with amazement at what God has done and continues to do in your life? Are they amazed by your joy? Are they perplexed by your frown? Are you joyful in response to God's grace in your life? And again, are you seeing the brokenness of this world and compassionately compassionately engaging it with the gospel? Or are you passing by looking the other way? Let's pray. Lord, as we take these words from Acts chapter 3, I pray that they will not just be words that we hear or a cool story to marvel at, but Lord, that we will see that you are a miracle-working God. And that while the physical healings that we so long for may not happen in this life, Lord, our sinful hearts can be healed. Our dead hearts can be made alive. And we can embrace the promise that we will walk, leap, and sing, and celebrate in your presence forevermore. But Lord, until that day comes, give us the power to persevere. Give us the ability to stand firm in the faith and to compassionately and lovingly and boldly proclaim the truths of the gospel to a lost and dying world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.